Welcome to the Mavens Do It Better podcast. And now, your host, Heather Newman. Anyway, hey everybody, here we go. (laughs) Here's another episode of the Mavens Do It Better podcast, where we interview extraordinary experts who bring a light to our world. And today I have a fantastic, wonderful colleague and friend on Kristen Jewell, who I met back in the holiday times. So yeah. it's been a while, but thanks for being on. Yes, hello. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, where, where are you coming to us from today? Beautiful flower behind you. And oh, thanks. Yeah, live from, uh, live from Hollywood, where we are currently quarantined. <laughs> yes, yes. And I am currently quarantined in Marina Del Rey in my HQ as well. Uh, we were just talking a little bit before we got started. This is the first podcast I'm recording since the coronavirus broke out. And so we were talking a little bit about that. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, I'm happy to be talking to another human, beauty, beautiful human being too. Yeah. Absolutely. How are you doing? What's going yeah. on over there for you? Yeah. I'm good. I mean, you know, you just, these, these times are strange. And yeah. so obviously I say that just to start and preface everything, but yeah, I mean, I feel, it feels good. It's, you know, we, I've, but probably like you, we've been, I've been remote for 15 years, yep. more than that since yeah. I mean, forever. Yeah. And, um, I've had clients for so long that, you know, sometimes you go to their office and you work from there. Or sometimes you have an office and you go, you know, so sometimes you're long-term on something. Right. And the last seven years, since I've started this, um, company, uh, we've, we've all worked remotely. So, you know, we have to, so it's been, yeah. it's been great to like, I mean, I feel like we're just positioned for this. Like this yeah. isn't, you know, it's business as usual for the most part, with the exception of the fact that obviously no one has toilet paper. And right, right, yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, it, it is one of those. I've worked from home since 2006 as well, so set up. You know, I've got three screens and the you know microphone, like all that stuff. And so, um, but you know, I get my juice from not the siren that's going by, which. You know what? That's life, right? Yeah, in the big city. Um, but uh, from going to in-person events, right? Because I do a lot of speaking and all of that stuff. So like, I'm home, home, home. And then I go and I'm like, woohoo, you know, and then I come home and I'm like, in my, you know, Netflix action and whatever else. And uh, so I, you probably, what, with what you do, will you tell everybody a little bit about your, your yeah. business? Because uh, that's why we're here to talk about that and um but I bet you get the same thing a little bit you know where you work from home and then you're out with musicians and everything that you do well tell everybody about jewel concepts it's great yeah no but I totally agree I know exactly what you mean it's almost like you come home to rejuvenate so that you can go out and be you know on frankly completely Um, yes and I and I am I have always been very extroverted uh, seemingly yourself as well um but I have recently well not recently but but eight years ago or 10 years ago, I started looking into a lot of things that what that means. And it turns out, even if you are extroverted, you still need to have that place where you go to, where you can like calm down and re you know, reconnect with yourself. So I'm, I've been very, very diligent about that over the last few years too. So, um, okay. So, so where do I start? Um, so, okay. I am Jewel Concepts is a company I founded seven years ago. Um, and it came at a time when I was very fortunate to have been working at a major company for eight years um, called Kaiser Permanente. It's a healthcare company. Um, as a member. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, mean, uh, I think it's a uh, half of the state of California is a Kaiser member. So we were, you know, I was in a very good position where as a national person, I was brought in to do brand strategy. I focused on consumer and member engagement. Again, Kaiser is a system that you have a lot of membership. Um, so we, I got to do great projects for eight years uh, where I designed, you know, we went from the Thrive campaign through to the life cycle of a, a member. So like from the, you know, the uh, cradle to the grave, you know, it is what it is, but every single touch point. And when I got there, so I did not want this job. I had already had a background in advertising and brand strategy for, you know, I think at that point I had been 17 or 18 years or no, 15 years. Um, and I didn't want a job. I was working at TiVo. I was doing consulting contracts and I really loved it. But, um, uh, it, they came in pretty hot and it was a really great opportunity, um, so I took it and thought, well, I'll be there for a year. And it was eight years later. During that time, I really pivoted my career from, you know, just the advertising and the strategy part to including music as right. a component for what I did. It had always been there. Mm -hmm. um, I had always wanted to do something with music. I loved, you know, I did some freelance projects for MCA uh, for a woman named Jane Simon in um, the 90s, the mid 90s, late 90s. Um, when I was in California and I had loved it so much, but, uh, they didn't really couldn't afford the overhead of a person like me, to be honest with you. So I, um, so I backed off of it and stayed in advertising. So when I left, so when, after those time with Kaiser, I basically was like, let me see what I can do using music. And we instituted, um, use of music and I built the business case. Um, we built the business case as a team, um, for use of music, for engagement and better health, but also, uh, you know, any time that you could do consumer-facing events, uh, we found that it was really popular to put together an activation around music where it was like sometimes if we sponsored the Nike Women's Marathon, we would also do an activation that was like when they zigged, we zagged. So it would be like, um, you know, we would have massage therapy components for the marathon as opposed to, you know, talking about running. It's obvious conversation. We wanted to have right. unique conversations. So the whole point was build the brand through the discovery of something, you know, revealing something unique and unexpected. Cool. And that's a brand strategy. That's what we oh, do. Yeah. So I left the company after eight years, I was offered a package uh, during a restructure. And I was like, that's good. And, you know, yeah. and I was like, I love you. Thank you so much. We good here. Okay, cool. No harm, no foul. I'm awesome. I'm out. Yep. So uh, I started this company literally the day I like got the indication this is happening. Uh, so it's seven years officially in March 13th. Um, which wow, is fun. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. And it was fun. Um, the first year was the hardest thing I think I'd ever done. Well, that's not true. It got harder. The first year was hard just to get your footing because you don't know what you don't know until you don't know it, right? You're like in front of someone. You're like, I don't know. I think I can do this. And, you know, no one really, I'll say like, it's not an inclusive industry. But then again, I worked in 35 different categories. I can't think of many that are, no one really likes to see someone new coming in and shaking things up. So, um, you know, I was lucky at Kaiser. Again, I got to spend a lot of time at TiVo and Kaiser with innovation. Right. Um, so the sense of iterative design and sometimes disruptive, but mostly iterative, it feels very, you know, data-driven pieces, informing, we called it art and science. You couldn't, uh, you shouldn't create a brand with just the science. It's, right. you know, yeah. can be very challenging to come from, you know, that area. And there are many brands that do it and they discount and they do things that, 
you know, are don't necessarily help them in the long run to create what we like to do, which is a, a you know, the value that you hold in the consumer's heart and soul, like what that's about. So I, um, so yeah, so I, I did the first year I did, you know, some projects, but most of the time I was just trying to figure out like, you know, I met with the Grammys and I met with Live Nation and, you know, everyone was like, you should work here and you should work there. And then it turned out, you know, someone told me, um, you know, you're, the, the industry is like a burning building and you're trying to run in when everyone's running out. So you should really just create something yourself. So, wow. Okay. It was great advice. A little hard to hear, but I've had those moments over my career anyway. So I took it, I took the Dharma head on and, um, yeah, went right for it, started with management and then realized that the holes that artists face are actually really good you know, best suited for me to help fill them with marketing too. Yes, so, you know, right. we both have that background as well. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. an auspicious beginning. Yeah, I'll say. Yeah. <laughs> it took a while. It took yeah. a year to like figure out what we were up to. Um, but then once it got started, it was like, okay. And then it took a couple more years to figure out how to make money on. And then that's still a challenge. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's definitely about the hustle. Um, being yeah. Yeah. Then business owner, you know, I, I've yeah. been doing it for a long time as well, 2006 for me. And, you know, you're you're always looking for the next project and uh, working really hard. And yeah, yeah, I I mean, my business came out of me leaving something else as well, you know? I remember we, I think we had this conversation when we met and I was like, there's, you know, you find connections with with strong people who have had to reinvent themselves. And I feel like that's, you know, that's why, like I look at even the artists that I work with, some of them have been doing that and I'm here for that. Like anytime someone needs to re-inspire, reinvent, you know, reconfigure, course correct, all of that. It's just, I think it's a very rare opportunity that people get in life and you should really go for it. Like that's how I feel. Why not? Completely. No, I agree with you 100%. And I had, as you know, I had Shelly Piken on uh, mm-hmm. the podcast not too yeah. long ago. It hasn't, she's just so great. We had so much fun and thank you for that. And we all I met that it. same night, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. And what is the name of that hotel? My brain. Oh, the Sunset Marquis, our yeah. favorite spot. Yeah. yeah. Sunset Marquis. I was like, wait a minute, what is it? Like, that was your first time there, right? Yes, it was my first time. You know, I'm still newish to LA, and so yeah. it was cool to like go to something that's so iconic. And oh, I, I mean, the, the Morrison Hotel oh, gallery. gallery, yeah, and just being there, I was like, okay, wow. So oh, yeah, it really was an incredible night. night. That was a really good night. It was a fun one. Um, and yeah, and I mean, and Shelly's a really great example of yeah. you know someone I can you 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 want her to succeed, you know what I mean? Because she's already a legend, you know, like there's, she's got it. She doesn't need literally nothing to prove. Like I had to introduce her at this showcase and I was just like, there's just nothing to left to prove. Like, I think it's just a matter of when she finally decided she wanted to leave like I did, but what legacy are you leaving behind? You know, it's, it's one thing to have helped somebody. It's another thing to do it yourself, right? She wrote the lyrics and gave people their stories. Now she's, telling her own story through her own lens. And I'm honored to get to partner with her on all of that. It's a, yeah. it's fun. and it was a really fun uh, interview. I got to listen to your, uh, to your interview. I'd like, yeah, yeah. it was fun. Yeah. We were, we were talking about, we were trying to get, get ready and we'd met a little earlier and we were like, uh, let's, I need a judge. And so I need another hour. And so we, we, we 
It's just like, are we doing video and everything? And so big shout out to Shelly. Yeah, we love her. Yeah. We love her. Because she's an artist that we get to work with um, that yeah. is releasing her album this summer. Yeah. It's been a journey with that. And That's definitely so now, even more than ever. Um, yeah. No yeah. kidding. Well, and you uh, have worked with Hamish Anderson for a really oh, long time. Oh, yeah. Since two, since that first year, actually, wow. he, he, yeah, he came in straight away. He already had a different manager, and um, they brought me in to help with some brand strategy. And then I, um, yeah, it just it would be a former manager was a little uh, different um, background. So we went with you know again. So I happened to fortunately I had spent some time on a personal level with some people in the industry who you know never really you never realize. I think that was my, probably my biggest learning curve was, um, you know, knowing who to, how to ask people for help or who to ask for help, right. if you can ask for help. And so for the first few years I didn't, um, but opportunities would happen to me. Things would happen wow. when I was with Hamish, for instance, actually in general, it was just amazing that the universe would give me these little tiny things that you just go, Oh, Oh, that's what that feels like. So like one night, um, I was working with a band whose lead singer was the bassist for Hamish okay. and he was like, but I was friends with a person named Gary Clark Jr. who is a great blues guitarist who I adore. And I had, was early on that tip because of Kaiser truthfully, because I was always looking for artists who were trying to do new things. And I, cause we would do events and things. So I was like, let's see what this guy's about. And I went to see his show at um, I think it was actually I saw the Sunset Marquee show that he did when he was there. Um, and then I saw um, him at South by Southwest and I, I had seen him a couple times. Um, and then we got to be friends. And uh, one night I'm in New York with that band and who had introduced me to Hamish. And I started working with, not, I wasn't working with him, I just met him. And um, we're in New York doing a show, all of us together. Uh-huh. And Hamish's show was the next night, but the band I was working with was the, the night before and it had been my birthday. And I remember being like all in a celebratory mode and whatever. And like everybody came out to the piano bar for the show for Intergalactics. And we yeah. were like, oh, this is great. And then it was a terrible show. The light, the uh, sound was horrible. It was like the worst <laughs> night I've ever had. But actually Hamish left early because of that. Cause he was like, this is, this is so, you know, whatever. And I was like, oh, it's fine. Um, just a friend. And then, then I walk outside the, uh, bar and Gary's standing on the street in New York. And I was like, what are you doing? He was like, what are you doing? And we just started talking. And as the night progressed, I said, listen, if you want to blow some 22 year old kid's mind from Australia, come to the Rockwood tomorrow. And he did, he showed up and, and Hamish's mind was literally like blown. Like it was like a whole, like, how did this happen? Because I I never even told him I knew Gary. Like I didn't, there was no reason to, I don't, I, one thing I don't do is I don't overpromise and under deliver. Right. So I just don't say anything like if right. I can't, you know, yeah, sure. Absolutely. People. Yeah. So, uh, so that happened and it was a very funny moment for, for everybody to realize like that's again, an, an indication where, you know, that night they met, they bonded, they had a good time. I had a great time. I hung with Gary for a while. You know, it's just a really fun night. And fast yeah. forward five years later, I finally, you know, wrote an email to his manager and I was like, listen, you know, the work that he's doing is so important in Hamish and I would love to, you know, support it in any way, this last album that he did. And then the next day we had an offer to do um, a tour in, Hustra- in Australia for Hamish. So, you know, it's, it took five years, 
Like, you know, these things don't happen overnight. That's the piece, you know, you kind of figure out what you can do. And it it is, it's the people use that word hustle all the time. I just think of it as being proactive. Like I think, you know, it used to be a negative connotation and now I'm like, well, I'm just going to let it be. It is what it is. (laughs) You can call it hustle. I think it's proactive. It's one of the tenets of my brand. I'm not going to wait for someone to tell me it's okay to do it. I'm going to figure it out. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, th- that word hustle is, well, first of all, I think, you know, learning the hustle in the YMCA with my parents back in the day, that was <laughs> super fun. Do, 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 do. Um, so I, my connotation to the hustle is that, but, but, um, I, <laughs> but, but it is like hustle or proactive. Um, I, I was talking to somebody earlier uh, that she was talking about, you know, just saying yes as well. You know, mm-hmm. like every job that I project that I got in my early, my career in technology in and around Microsoft was because I was like, yeah, I'll do that. Sure. Yeah. Didn't necessarily know what I was doing, but I said yes. And you know, 20 years later, I have all this experience doing all kinds of things. Cause I said yes to them. Right. Yeah. Or yeah. after it, or ask the question, can I do that? You know, yeah. can Absolutely. you, will you be in my, advertisement or will you play my show or whatever right and I think that's the thing about people in small business and people like us who are consultants that you have to be like that you have to be proactive or you're never going to get anything yeah no for sure I think it's an important I think you don't wait for people to literally I'd rather and this might have been a Kaiser thing but I did learn to ask for forgiveness versus permission. I feel like, you know, you, and I'm a problem solver. That's why my career worked so well for me. I thought it worked well because I would, you know, I get an, I get a request. I, they don't know what they're asking for. So you have to figure it out. None of this has changed. We're all in the same boat, but when you're a consultant, you hear what people are saying, you process the information and you go back to them with an opportunity or a solution. So you know, when I hear hustle, I'm like, well, that just, that just means that you, you know, people thought it was, you know, it was like a, like a, you know, like a side project or something like that. It was like an easy thing for you to, you know, bring in. But a lot of the work that we do isn't easy. You know what I mean? And again, even Hamish going on that tour with Gary, you know, it was, it was five years to the day in the making when we were on that thing. And that, and those five years, we had to spend the time, you know, building Hamish. You don't just get, to do, I mean, some people probably do, but you're, it yeah. might be ill-equipped to pay it off. So right. even though it, perhaps it could have started sooner, you know, I'm happy it happened when it did because Hamish was prepared for that role. You know what I mean? Right. He, he was doing, and it was a yeah. very rewarding experience altogether for him. And it definitely moved the needle. But again, had we done it five years sooner, I don't know, you know, when we had him opening up for Bobby King, even I think back to all that. And it was like, that was a huge deal too. So each of the artists, you know, they all kind of come in to us in different phases of their career. And, um, you know, Hamish was truly baby band when we met, like truly, like no radio, but nothing really was spinning. And so he's like the biggest case study of like what you can do if you're consistent in your messaging. Right. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, it, it is that th- that took five years. I mean, I, you probably have this too in your career is that what there's a quote, uh, the quote is like, maybe they might not remember what you say, but they remember how you, make, how you feel, feel. You make them feel. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And I have people who come out of the woodwork that I worked with in like 2005 or six. And literally they're like, the last time I was with you was when we were on show site in a bar in New Orleans. And yeah. 
what are you doing right now? Are you still doing your stuff? And, and it happens a lot. And yeah. it's one of those things. It's like, I'm so thankful for that. Yeah. Also keeping up with people and stuff, but sometimes like something like that comes out of the blue and it changes everything. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, you yeah, that's cool. in the universe, you know, like if you, if you put it out there, I mean, I am a big believer that intention gets you everywhere you want to be. And um, you have to believe it. You have to go for it. If you have hesitation in your mind, it's not coming to you. If yeah. you, and I know that that, you know, maybe it's a little esoteric and perhaps even Californian of me to say, but I, you know, I'm an original East coast person who has the values yeah. of work hard and these rewards come to you. But if you're working hard at like, you know, something that's not serving you well, then, right. you know, you're really building a career in an area that's going to never be good for you. So yeah. I feel like all of our artists and myself included, we all need to be a litmus test for what's, you know, what feels right, you know, and, you know, music in general is a all, I, it should be a feeling based thing. Yeah. The analytics and the algorithms that go into it can change the conversation, obviously, yeah. shed light on things that are challenges or opportunities. But I do, I feel like the, the work that we do is better served when it's authentic and to you. And you are the person, you're the only one that can really make it that way, you know? Yeah, yeah I'm with you. I believe 100% in what I like to call the woo, you know? I mean, mm -hmm. to me that putting things out in the universe, saying positive things, you know, talking mm -hmm. about what you want, the authenticity thing. Yeah, I, I believe that 100%. I love that that's the way you work with your clients. I mean, that mm -hmm. that that shines through in artists as well, right? That's why people connect so deeply with certain artists and others. They're like, oh, they're cool. And they may be a megastar, but there's some people that, man, people just go. And it's because they're authentic and they share a story, you right. know? And yeah. the, the sometimes it's the and sometimes it's the yay. And yeah, you mentioned East Coast. I want to talk origin yeah. story. Let's okay. talk about let's talk about where you grew up and, and where, okay. you, where you come from and all that good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally. Um, I was born in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Oh, okay. Uh, my first house, lived, my parents lived in a place called Jessup, Pennsylvania. I'm uh, Italian descent. Um, I know you can tell, right? <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, my mom was Italian. My, uh, and, so, and my family was basically like, we were, we were raised in an Italian community. Um, so I got to be, it was really grounding. Um, it was very fun. And uh, we moved to the Poconos after, I guess it was, I was 13, I think it was, no, 10, I was 10. And okay. then I went to school in the Poconos. Um, and then right before I graduated high school, my mother passed away. So that was pretty transformative for me. She had been sick with lung cancer for nine months. Um, wow. And during that time, you know, that was like my senior year and like, what are you doing with your wow. life? And yeah. I remember, you know, I applied to Pepperdine and I applied to SMU and NYU and, um, and I, and you know, we, I did. Okay. Like I got into them. Um, the one I really wanted to go to was Pepperdine, but that was obviously when my mom died, my dad was like, maybe you could stay closer. So I went to NYU right. um, and I was very fortunate to have been able to do that. Um, I learned a lot about myself because when you're 18 and you go to New York and you have, I'd only been there like twice before. Right. I had no clue what I was doing. I, oh I literally wow. yeah, yeah. used to say I had the word Evian <laughs> in, on, on my forehead, which is naive spelled backwards. <laughs> and I just oh. walked around like, just, I'm like this Pennsylvania thing. Like what? Yeah. Um, 
that didn't last long. That uh, that shine that was like you know held at gunpoint my first year, like within oh, like wow. three months. Uh, wow. Yeah, lots of lots of turnover. I had like sixteen roommates. The big turnover at NYU. Um, my freshman year, moved yeah. off campus into the East Village and ah. had the time of my life for a couple right. of years. Just yeah. like, but it's funny because when you look back on it, it was like Blues Traveler, Spin Doctors, Joan Osborne. That were all the bands at the time were kind of, I'm dating myself, but I don't care. Um, <laughs> I'm literally going to be 50 this month. And I'm like, whatever, I'm here. Oh, you know, yeah. My mom died at 46. So like all of my life has just been like, that got thrown into let's celebrate every day. Like I'm just YOLOing. I've been doing that. I didn't even know it was a term. Um, so, so yeah, John Hopper and all those guys were doing all these great, music things and I was like super into this scene then Mary J Blige came out so it was all music like oh I love music I love music then I, I internship I worked for the um, Linda Ellerby and I did a movable feast it was a documentary with oh, her yeah. Yeah, and yeah. that was eye-opening I'm they, she actually references me in one of her books and I never knew people who were who could write a book and actually put your name in it and then tell a story that was not really true, which is kind of funny too. Cause like, she just took liberties with things. Like she wasn't even in the room with the things she was talking about. So that was a big, like, what is this? Like people right. could do that. And yeah. then I did the New York times for his uh, internship and I hated it. I thought for sure I would love it. And I hated it. I was like, Oh God, like no, too, not enough thought. Um, I wanted to be a broadcast journalist. And when I was working with Linda, she was like, look at your face. There isn't an ethnic bone in your face. Like you're, and she was right. It was like the times were changing and she was like, you're not gonna like, so she was very honest with me. And this is why I'm saying like, people are always like, I think when, you know, I think people, sometimes they tell you things and it hurts you to hear it. But mm -hmm. I was very, I had to become thicker skinned and resilient. Yeah. And so I did it. I just went through it. Like I, you know, whatever, heard it, absorbed it, processed it, and then course corrected again. So by the time my senior, by the time I got, uh, I guess it was probably on my third internship, I did um, Welsh and Green in New York, which was an ad agency that was on top of the world. It was like wow. one of the best in the planet. Mary Wells um, was a iconic advertising executive, female advertising executive, um, met, literally walked in and was like, oh, these are my crazies. Like I've arrived. This <laughs> is it. Uh, people, yeah. Yeah. Like my first day I went to like shamefully went to go steal a cigarette from someone. And he, I heard this voice, like I saw that. And it was like the person who I'm still friends with John Rea, who's a creative director, um, an incredible creative director. He's like, let me, I won't tell if you let me give you a tattoo. And I was like, ah! so like I spent my lunch break with him, like tattooing my arm. I was like, I love this place. So, but you know, it's just so creative. Everything was yeah. so creative and yeah. Uh, yeah, I had a great time. And I, and I wound up doing that for, like I said, so long. And I, yeah. I, was, I think it was 12 and a half years advertising wow. side and client side 13 oh, years. Wow. But yeah. the, the agencies I worked for after that was like Shiat Day. So basically after New York, I I moved to New, to LA. Right. And started working, uh, well actually the Jonathan Club was the first one because I did the editor, I was the editor of their, their newsletter, the magazine. Um, that was pretty interesting. And it taught me, again, it's a members only men's club. So wow. no women were allowed what, there. What, what club was it? This place called the Jonathan Club downtown. And they have a thing at the beach too. So wow. I'm sure that they've amended that. I think they started letting women in while I was there, but it was like, no women, you know, we, you know, it was like, a yeah. So that was that. Then I went back into advertising. I was so psyched to do that. Um, so I started uh, back in there. I wound up going through the 
Darcy, um, Darcy Missy has been in Bowles, and it was like, what was it, Dentsu Young and Rubicam Morton. So there were a bunch of mergers that happened. Right. And then at the tail end of it, it was Shiat Day. And Shiat Day was a really great um, experience because it was, you know, Nissan. And we did an iconic campaign called Mr. K. And I met this woman named Carissa Bianchi after I left there. And she then eventually became the president of Shiat Day. So I got to see like strong wow. women in advertising. It was really yeah. cool stuff. You know, I really liked it a lot. One point I left advertising to go do interactive mm. and everyone thought I was nuts. They, and it was before the, like the internet came out. Right. And then like, like we're all like using floppy disks, doing advertising, trying to make it digital and right. oh my God, hysterical, right? Like all the stuff you think back, you're like, oh my God. And I have a lot of it too. When I look back, I'm like, this is mind blowing. Um, so I left and went to this interactive company. We worked on Mercedes Benz and Disney um, mm -hmm. launches and that lasted a year. And then I was back in advertising. So right. it was fun. I moved to New York uh, for Cliff Freeman and partners moved me to New York. Cliff wrote you might know Shiat Day because they have like Apple. They did the original, you know, um, campaign for, that aired one time during the Super Bowl when they launched Apple. Um, but you might not know Cliff Freeman until I tell you these things. So he did, um, uh, he wrote, sometimes you feel like a nut, sometimes you don't. Wow. Nuts, yeah. So he was that guy. He also did um, these uh, Wendy's Where's the Beef campaign. So do you yeah. remember that? Claire? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, so he flies me. I flew to New York to meet with him, and I just remember sitting in the meeting. And I did new business, mm -hmm. so I would help with the pitches and right. you know, whatever needed to be done. Said yes all the time. Yep. Whatever it takes, let's do it. Uh, so he uh, he sits in this meeting and he has his baseball bat and he just kept striking it on the floor. A really nice Southern guy. So nice. I think he might have been from Memphis. I'm not sure or somewhere, somewhere Southern. And he, I just looked at him and I was like, is this like an intimidation tactic? Cause like the, it's working. It's <laughs> like, oh good. So anyway, uh, he used to come in and be like, is this funny? And we had a wall of like clipisms, you know, it was like uh, flatulence plus kids equals funny. He was very about like the humor. Right. So yeah, we did some great stuff there too. And then I moved uh, over to another agency. Then 9-11 happened. Then I moved back to New LA because I was like, okay, I, I miss the sun. I miss the sky. If I'm going to have to do this, everybody became so stressed out all the time. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I, don't, I think I'm done with New York. And and it was, so I had done it twice. Like right. I to LA back to New And then I was like, okay, I'm cool. So yeah, I've been here now 18 years. And I love it. Like, I think LA is, it's, it's, you know, it's not for everybody. And the first six months I cried myself to sleep yeah. you know, yeah. kid, and I'm like, what have I done? Right. I always felt like there was a New Yorker. I think it was um, a cartoon that I remember seeing at one point and I, I'm not going to get it right, but it was like in New York when people say, fuck you. They, sorry. I hope you, can I curse? Sorry. Yeah. When they yeah. say fuck you, they mean have a nice day. And in LA, when they say have a nice day, they meant fuck you. So it was like, <laughs> nobody was really what they thought, you know? Yeah. And I think that that's changed in time to over time as well. Yeah. But like back in the nineties, in the late eighties, early nineties, it was a tough town. It was it's a very yeah. strange town. I moved here like right in time for the Rodney King riots. I, I was there for the, in New York at the Tompkins Square one. So I, I, like I said, resilience, you know, like that's like a big thing. You got to get through it. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. That's, I, that, I always learn so much about people in these podcasts. I'm like, that's amazing. And gosh, having so much experience in the advertising world too, like I, that I've never actually, I worked at an agency once um, in Seattle and loved it. And uh, 
there is a vibe to that that is really fun because it's just a lot of times it's a lot of money Mm -hmm. and you know you have to really be on point you know and words are so important like like little bits of chunks of things are so important right you know like sizing something to a a, like a kernel of something that's gonna you know that test like you could say yeah we got that I know what that campaign is or you know like to me those are the things that you go wow that just you know levels everything to just like a couple phrase you know what I mean and it's I I absolutely I love finding good unique positioning yeah yeah it's a really important piece yeah that's yeah that's yummy I love it it um for you so there's a lot of folks who who listen who are uh technologists in technology and all of that and for what you do for your business you're doing a lot of marketing uh and brand building what are some tools and things that you love and use every day if you don't mind sharing yeah so um I would say probably like okay if any of our artists are listening they'll be I can hear the eye rolls. Um, Asana, I live and breathe by Asana. It is a project management tool and it's a lifesaver for me because I have, I have run, like when I was at Kaiser, I used to run 85 projects at a time. Like I'd be involved in the, you know, the racy diagrams where it'd be like responsible, accountable, consultant, or informed. I was involved in so many things and, you know, you have to, I like staying sharp, right? So I didn't mind that part. So now you know, again, like as you're dealing with so many different things, plus there's a learning curve and all this stuff, Asana became my best friend because you can put reference information in there. You can have historical things. So you never forget what you've done. There's right. no excuse. I always tell our interns when you come on, like you'll see, you can see a thin slice across everything just by going through the Asana projects and our emails right. and uh, the Asana projects just, they, I mean, I put everything I can in their metrics, yeah. you know, things that work, things that didn't work, mm. you know, anything I can think of because I'm not sure I'm going to be able to find it later. So right. Asana is the number one tool. I'd okay. say that's, um, that's my favorite. Um, and then, you know, obviously Slack is a good one, but it's a lot harder to get people to use Slack. I don't know why it's just a lot harder. Um, so our group yeah. tends to not use it as much, um, and I, I love uh, analytics. So every day I do, we used to do our own dashboards, but now I just, I, you know, I use a lot of the Google Sheets and stuff like that, the suites, obviously, oh, yeah. but I use Chartmetric um, pretty much every day, which is a, a tracking tool for artists uh, to understand how their work is performing yeah. in market. Um, yeah. And I, and I love the back ends of Spotify and Apple Music. And yeah. I, my favorite, favorite metric is a Shazam. I absolutely love Shazam. That's the one company I would have killed to work for. And when I met with them, I was like, why do I have to move to New York? I don't want to do that. But I really loved what they did. I think they've done a great job creating an ecosystem for artists that's like all in one place for the discovery process. So yeah, (laughs) super cool. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you find that, uh, you know, I think Shelly and I talked a little bit about this. I've talked to a couple of different folks who are in the music industry on, on the podcast and you know, just the changes over time, you know, from, you know, radio, like we referenced and, you know, all of that going into the digital, mm-hmm. um, I, I, maybe what's one of the biggest things for an artist of today, sort of expectations of like, when you put an album out, like, are you going to get paid? Are you going to make it big? Are you going to make a million dollars? Yeah. 
I think it's that you give what you get, right? So like you're really, if you're in it and you're investing your time and you're putting your content out and you're doing a really good job keeping people engaged in your, in your world and what you're doing. uh, Yeah. I think you can do, you can, you can move mountains that way. Um, I think being consistent in a message, being consistent in what you're, what you're doing, your sound um, is important. I think that, you know, you will not earn money likely, you know, for like a first, like they always tell you, it's like, it's like any business, you know, you can't expect that you're going to start your business and within five months you're going to have, you know, a sustainable, scalable income coming in. You have to plan for it and prep for it. And you got to do a lot of work to get those people to care and come into you. Um, And once they come in, you got to do even more work to get them to stay because, (laughs) you know, it's not the, you can't just like, you know, you can't just drop, you can't just drop a single people who tell me, Oh, I just have to put something out. I'm just going to put something out. I'm like, you know what? Go for it. You do, you don't, I'm not, I can't even get involved because it's, it's a, I always tell people, yeah, if you put it in your, if you did it in your house and it didn't cost you anything. Yeah, sure. Okay, fine. But like really, if it's a great sound, you should, you should get behind your own work somehow and market it properly and make sure that you give it time and seed the market. So most of it's, like I said, uh, in Hamish's case and Ruby and Sulfonic's case, I mean, I was a huge fan of Ruby's. I was telling Gary about her and, and I was buying her vinyl and I had never seen her live. Uh-huh. But I knew I knew her I knew her sound because the DJs were telling me like when I go to Fabulous, uh-huh. well it was a distribution deal but I didn't know it at the time right so it's like I'm a consumer before I was in music and yeah. I just you know you're very like oh there's all these different ways you can get music to you the mm-hmm. when the vinyl went away and the physical went away and the digital became the thing again I was like still should be able to make money because. When I was at TiVo, we had a $13 subscription. That's what TiVo cost, right, at that time. And yet, within that $13, I had money to market if we needed to. We didn't do a lot of it. Right. Circulars. But my point was, and at Kaiser, too. So no matter if it's like... $13 $13 or $100 or $1,000 a month, yeah. there's always in that a line item for marketing. And yep. in that area, that's where I think money can go back to artists more. But mm-hmm. in the current phrase, phasing of it, like how it's working now, if you do a good, if you do a good job and you build your brand and you yep. do, and I do use radio and I, I believe in radio tremendously. I think anybody who discounts radio is uh, clearly they're not dealing with that kind of artist that I'm dealing with. Triple A, I think is a really great discovery platform and you know, uh, we love it. So yeah. I'm a big fan of that discovery and radio, but also, you know, the, the, the streaming platforms, you eventually can get to a place where it can help offset some of your costs. It's never going to, not never, it takes a while for it to get to a place where you can actually earn like a lot. And right. I think most of the time that I've seen people really have a financial benefit is when they go into the sync realm. So once you have an established brand and you're doing shows and you're consistent with your releases and music supervisors start to hear your name, you can start to get the requests for your songs. And that's where, you know, you will see a payoff Mm -hmm. because it's, and it's smaller than it ever has been too, right? It's like there are people who are willing to do it for free. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sure a lot of people get their starts that way and they don't have to pay for music, but like a company like Kaiser, we always paid for music and we went from using 
you know, Bob Dylan and the Bee Gees to a Michelle Branch song used for an advertisement, you know, yeah. in, in commercials. And it was because you, you know, at some point you realize the emerging artists, you get more bang for your buck even too. Bob Dylan and the Bee Gees didn't care if we used their thing on a Medicare spot, but Michelle Branch definitely would have liked it, you know? Yeah. So, um, and, it, and for what it's worth, sync is another one of those areas that I've seen the evolution where people were telling me, no, I won't be on, I don't want my song on your playlist because mm. Kaiser, you know, it's like healthcare. No, I don't want to be right. Insurance. And I'm like, Oh, but it's a health platform that we're working yeah. on. And they were like, I still don't care. So I was told no. And now those, you know, the, you see these artists that are like, I just want the brands to get my songs out there. So mm -hmm. you see it, that, uh, that evolution, you know, really yeah. uh, it, it, once you let your guard down and you allow yourself to earn mm -hmm. in those areas, it, it yeah. really, it can be consistent for you. So, yeah. so I'm lucky that all of my artists can, most of them have done something in sync. Yeah, no, that's super cool. And you, you're working mostly with emerging artists or people who are maybe doing something that they haven't done in a while. Yeah. Yeah. And it's management and marketing for musicians, artists, bands, all of that. Kind of yeah. Thing. And anything adjacent. So we've also yeah. done, you know, support for other brands as well okay. that are in the space too. And um, I mean, it's, it's definitely, more right now on the artist side, you know, but it's always good to have a good balance. Yeah, absolutely. And how about, so talking about the pandemic a little bit, the having folks really like so many people are sharing things and going live and, and all of that. Have some, have some of your artists done some of those things? Or yeah. And I think that? that's so neat. Yeah. It's great. I mean, it's, it's, some of them are, some of them are more leaned into it than others. Yeah, sure. so we're definitely trying to figure out how do I make an eight piece band sound right. you know, like that's impossible to do. So they'll have yeah. to do it or something like that and do their yeah. social distancing. Um, you know, Hamish did a live stream. Shelly did a live stream. Yeah. Justin did a live stream. So everyone's sort of figuring it out. Um, we're actually working very hard right now on a platform to, because uh, again, I didn't really get into this just to be a manager. I wanted to get into this to understand music and technology right. and where the brands fit, right? And all that stuff too. So uh, I, uh, there's a really big hole in the market right now for um, artists to deliver what they, you know, like their content and actually have a potential monetization piece for it. Right. I don't know you know, there's, there's things like uh, Patreon and there used yeah. to be pledge music for when you re release music. Um, you know, I, I got, we've used pledge and we had a bad experience um, at the end there. So I, I think what we're trying to figure out now is how we can turn jewel concepts mm -hmm. into a, like a media portal that mm -hmm. allows our artists to all house their own content in there. And right. then we offer it up to people and we say, listen, you know, if you want, if you have a dollar a month or you have $10, whatever it is, especially in today's climate, you know, right, can go right to the artists. Um, and then you get to inter interact directly with them. So like, for instance, yeah. Ruby does smoothies, she could do a smoothie thing with you. Like it's very sense. It's like creating a sense of community yeah. within our own artists, as well as our, the fan bases of those artists. But right. then I'd like to use it as a proof of concept for ideas that come in where we're like, oh, this would be a really good, this might be a TV show idea, or right. this might be something we could do there. And right. then we can prove the concept and then bring it to like a, you know, Quibi or whatever, whatever it is. You know, my goal is to start creating content that actually is interesting for um, other brands and other artists. Uh, companies, yeah. companies, music companies to do something right. too. That's but so we're going to, so we're going to start kicking that off. I think it's um, the 
16th, I think, uh, with a, a live stream for just dual concept artists. Cool. And then we'll open up the portal hopefully shortly after that with a couple content pieces and like a calendar section mm -hmm. and try and use this time to start deconstructing and reconstructing what it could possibly look like. Because I think the worst thing we could see would be if each artist went and did their own Patreon yeah. or something during this time, because you'll be spending so much time and energy marketing that right. it loses, you know, you're, that's like, it's even what Shelly doesn't want to do, right? Nobody wants to be like having to do marketing all the time or social media. So yeah. I figured if Jewel Concepts does it and then we pour everything into it, it might, might be easier for everyone. And yeah. we have no idea what we're doing, but this is another one of those, like, if you plant the stake in the ground today, yes. Yep. in like a year, you'll have experience. It's worthwhile somehow one way or another, you know, yeah. like, that's that, that sense of like 10,000 hours towards, yep. something, you know, makes you an expert, right? Yeah, so yeah. Yeah. may yeah. as well do it with something you love. Absolutely. <laughs> Malcolm Gladwell it up for sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's good. All right. The other thing, what does your shirt say? It says hot buttered something, but I can't see the uh, last part. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> hot buttered soul. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, I wonder what that says. And I've been thinking about it ever yeah. since. Like, Cause I could. Yeah. 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 Isaac Hayes. Isaac Hayes. <laughs> yes, totally. I was like, Sacks. Sacks. I love yeah. it. That's yeah. so awesome. That's so interesting and cool. I love that concept. I mean, it's, it's kind of like you're bringing people together under one house and then being able to do all kinds of things, slice and dice the content how you would want and also help them get it out in a way. That's, that's yeah. cool. Cause it's, it's like one centralized location. It's just exhausting yeah. all of the different things that everybody's doing. And we're going to see more. This is the thing, you know, now it's the wild, wild west again. It's our favorite time. Like yeah. innovation, everybody's like out of necessity comes opportunity. So yes. I'm like, you know, I've been kind of waiting for this. And again, coming into this industry, looking at the data, looking at the, art and the science and right. hoping that this is all going to matter you know our artists are they can perform their songs they're legitimately gotcha. talented they're not i'm not trying to like you know like we're not trying to like go into the i don't know how to say this without sounding i you know if any of them wanted to be on a label they could do it it's not about the label it's about right. the type of music that they're putting out so they're right. putting out music that we're hoping is going to last the test of time Right. And I think that's the piece, like when you look back on Hamish and Ruby and Jessica, mm -hmm. Shelly, you know, these are all, every one of them, you know, you're putting out something that in 10 years you could still listen to. Right. And I know like even Ruby's stuff, you know, it's just so classically soul oriented yeah. stuff. Like nobody, that's never going to go out of style. Mm -hmm. It's just never, it will yeah. always be fashionable just yeah. because it's great music, you know what I mean? So, yeah. so we do put a priority on the performance is an important piece of this. And you have to be able to handle your stuff from like live shows. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. We're excited to try this. I think um, I have been almost to a sense of somewhat distraction watching the industry for the last few weeks, just being like, okay, so obviously without drive times, you can expect consumption of music to go down in certain areas. Also with podcasts too, like, Right. These are all things everyone's going through right now. Yeah. Where is this kind of dust settling? Um, I, radio, you know, we we're about we were about to go to radio with the single for Hamish called "World's Gone Mad," and um, and our radio people were like, maybe not right now, you know, because it's a very strange time. And actually, to be honest with you, it was Hamish. He didn't want to go out with it anymore. Right. And I was like, I get it, you know, yeah. you you have to have the conversation. So we're going to switch gears to a different radio song. But like, in, even this morning when I was having the call with the radio programmer, I was like, 
you know, is this, how is it, how is the climate? Is it a good time? And they sent me some stuff and I was like looking through the data and yeah, I mean, it's the discovery. People are actually, they feel a sense of connected com to their community through use of radio more so now than ever. Yeah. They're, so even though they don't have the drive time and they're not at the gym using music or listening to things that way, yeah. there's, they're actually finding that there's a potential of up to 15% more coming in the door. So wow. we, you know, we have our, we have our work cut out for us and we got sure. to like, you know, keep at it, but mm -hmm. between radio and the streaming platforms, even though that first week, everything took a dip except um, classical music, folk, music and children's music huh. uh, which makes sense i mean if you yeah, yeah. everybody having to return to home right um, this week i saw that they said year to year sale uh year to year streams are actually up even more so now i think they're just going to be watching to see how it you know there might be a slight dip but nothing yeah. lasts forever yeah. you can only listen to the news so much and you well, can only watch so much netflix at some yeah. point you're going to need to take a walk so. yeah absolutely i mean i think we've we've seen it i mean all of the like here go watch a play for free do this and that and this you know like where everybody's turning to art and music and all of that stuff to just have it ha it, it continues to be an escape but mm -hmm. i think right now even more so when you can put some headphones on and just mm -hmm. whew, for a second you know yeah. Right. Or, or dance that yeah, you know i've exactly. heard of um the dj d nice like oh my gosh know, that was amazing right amazing right like i was sending that to everybody i'm like get on here now like this is a this is the zeitgeist this is yeah. when you go okay so someone tapped into something that everyone yeah. was feeling and only he could do it that way right Questlove was on the ones and twos as well he had his sense but yeah. that like d nice came to life. Yeah. You know I mean? So yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And for those of you who don't know what happened, DJ D nice went on, did an Instagram live mm -hmm. and started, it was called homeschool and it ended up going for nine hours and it started with like a thousand and then it was five and then a, 10,000 and and then I think it ended up being over 100,000 yeah. or something like that and, it was something oh yeah yeah and people kept dropping in because on Instagram live you can you know say request to drop in and so you had people like Drake and Michelle Obama and like like Jayla you're like okay like all of a sudden it was just like everybody and their mom literally <laughs> were listening to this thing and so. he's like shouting everybody out as if we're in the club he's like oh yeah it was uh amazing so yeah, he, he was on Jimmy um, Fallon and talking about it the other night. Oh, that's good. Yeah. It was really cool because Jimmy was taping from his house. Yeah. And his wife is holding the camera, you know, and his kids are in it. I was like, you know, it's it's the thing. You're seeing everybody's lives and their yeah. kitchens and whatever they're wearing. And it's just, it's it, it, there's something about taking down those masks. I think sometimes it's like, we're all human. We're all trying to figure it out. Yeah, you know what? We needed we needed a collective pause. I've been saying this for a couple of weeks now, and I'm like, it was time. We have been, I mean, between the market and the everything just was like the rat race. Even I, you know, I, I'm usually pretty good about maintaining a sense of like pause. You know, I had no pause. Like I would, and it's actually maybe gotten worse. Like I had a 16 hour day the other day and then a 19 hour day the day before that. And I was just like, this is not helping. I'm going to have to learn boundaries because now everybody and their brother's like, yeah, let's do this. But I, you know, I do feel like collectively we were on a crash course for just chaos. Non we were on chaos nonstop. So there's only so much you can handle when you've got a, you know, a certain person in office who's, uh, 
challenged um, some systems and, you know, the sense of empathy was gone. I feel like that. And that, that is the, one of the, you know, pieces that we have to hold the truest for what we do is feeling for other people. Right. And Mm -hmm. I learned that at Kaiser through innovation, the best design is when you can put yourself in someone else's shoes. Mm -hmm. I feel like that was missing for much of the you know, the, frankly, the world. And, and I think part of it is because there's just so many issues that we have and now the whole world can see all the issues. And so I think we just needed to, this retreating to our homes is actually like a, let's collect, let's lick our wounds. Let's like, like self love. Mm. And then we get to come back and hopefully present the world with who we really want to be and who we really are, which hopefully at our core is a stronger sense of community and caring for each other. Yeah. It's just too bad a pandemic had to take us to this place right like but you know what it's kind of it how else could we have gotten here there because this was like there's no gender there's no race there's no religion there's it doesn't care who we are at all it is just like oh you're a host for the end that i'm gonna come in you know (laughs) so so in a way it kind of had to be something that was ubiquitous across all platforms across all types across everyone you know couldn't have done I don't know and I'm not you know like I recognize this is a this is a tough time like this is frightening I wake up I had uh I actually had it um which was so strange to even admit but I think I didn't see you was I was with Shelly at NAM and right after that I got sick and um from February 9th to February 16th and when I went to the doctor they didn't even they were like were you in China no okay no so they thought it was whooping cough oh wow and it went away, thank God. But like you, you know, when you're going through all of this, it's like, I get it. It is not an easy time. Mm-hmm. Uh, physically, you become very, between the sickness, it also keeps this anxiety. Like, could I get it again? I know nothing about this. I didn't even know I had it then. Right. And it's a real physical pain, you know, with your lungs, like that cough is a really real thing. But my, my, my bigger point was more like, you can't, you know, you, I don't know that you could go, you you have to go, you have to feel it the whole way through and know that it's going to be okay. Even when you have anxiety, yeah. you're connected. Even though we have these walls amongst us, you still are connected in the bigger spirit with something. So it's, it's a tough time and I'm not trying to discount it, but I do feel like it is an opportunity for people to come together and yeah. see humanity better. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And Pollyanna too. We all have, I mean, the decisions, it's with anything, you can run the fear narrative, you can be negative, you can, all of that stuff, right? And I agree with you on, it's such, there's a, there's choices to be made of like, okay, this is happening yeah. in this moment. What am I going to do? How am I going to deal with it? How do I want to be throughout Mm -hmm. it? And when it's hopefully over at some point, you know, it's like, it's, it's about, it's about choosing those things. And sometimes you don't have a choice, but what you do and can choose positivity and, and empathy and, and sharing and trying to be helpful. I think those are great things to, to reach for and to choose. And all of us as a collective society and humanity, like having to go through it together because we all are right. Yeah. Yeah. We're here for each other too. So it's a, it's, I'm, I'm looking forward to not having to be sequestered in our homes. Uh, But I also, you know, there'll be more challenges ahead. No, for what it's worth, I think like when you brought up the live streaming before, I feel like this has been in the making for years when they had the Paris shooting and you had 
the Ariana Grande shooting and you had the the Vegas shooting, yeah. it's, mm-hmm. it's been, it's been prickling. People are like, Oh, it's, you know, so what we don't want to have is where people can't be near each other, obviously, yeah. but like the virtual piece is a good thing to figure out in yeah. times of difficulties. I I'm, you know, I feel like we've kind of been in this space and we just have to like, mm, maybe there are times, and this might not be the only time we have to, you know, return to home. You know, yeah. we might have to do this again at some point just to yeah. combat some other strain or whatever. So yeah, yeah. I think it's a good learning exercise for everyone. Yeah, I agree with you. Mm. Mm. I'm like, what a time. Yeah. I know. But it is, it's, a, it is, it's, uh, you know, we've been here before we had nine yeah. 11, you know, yeah. I worked on the travel industry where Potwire was our client and they canceled the business and, you know, six of the major airlines owned Hotwire at the time. They weren't going to do any more advertising. You know, we've seen these things before. So we just have to be prepared. And I think that's the hard part is that the entire world is, you know, vulnerable now. So it's just a much bigger stage. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what, how lovely to talk to you. Yeah. So insightful and you have such a, beautiful brain talking about all these different ways that you're working with people now. It's awesome. Um, I want to, I want to ask you my last question. So uh, I always ask, I know it's been a while too. I was like, Oh my goodness, we're rocking it. Okay. And I love you and I totally have the same hair color, which I love too. Um, uh, But uh, I'm, I'm very interested in, and I know you are too, in what sparks people and what, um, what drives people to be who they are and, and all of that. We talked a lot about authenticity and could you talk about maybe a moment or a spark in your life that really seats you in sort of where you are today? Person, place, thing, book, poem, something that. Yeah. 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 Um, one. I mean, well, I, 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 I kind of already touched on Jane Simon, who I, I always give credit for seeing what I could do. Yeah. She was the only one who was like, you should work in music. <laughs> you should yeah. really do. And yeah. actually that's not true. Drew Fitzgerald who introduced me to Jane right. was the yeah, catalyst for that. So, you know, he could, I could credit them for, um, for that, but I feel like the transformation for me, the real transformation was, um, uh, there's a book, it's going to sound a little cliche. Sorry. Uh, um, uh, no apologies. Please. Okay. Um, it's called the great work of your life. Um, it's, it's, I'm not sure. So I did cognitive behavioral therapy for like eight years. Remember I told you about my mom. Yes. yes. I had to unlearn things at a much later part of life. I'm sure. trying to figure out why I was so unhappy all the time. Yeah. Um, and this book, uh, it's many case studies about yeah. like people like Jane Goodall and Mahatma Gandhi and all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And it breaks down the idea of intrinsic Dharma fulfillment. Wow. How you identify what that is um, and then how you continue to go towards it. Mm. And I had always loved music. Right. But I could never figure out how to get out of the thing that was making me the money. Right. right. And that's a, I'm a Taurus. I love money. Like mm. I don't necessarily, you know, obsess on it, but I love having my things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a good life, I guess I should say. Yeah. So I read this book and it, sh- just, I don't know, just like overwhelmed me with like, 
you know, when you ask the question, what's important to me and my core of a fiber of my being, and yeah. if I was going to leave this legacy behind what it was going to be, it was through reading that book that I realized, yeah, it's definitely music. Like I need to, I need to be okay with the fact that I might not, I might not have what I had before. And it might be a bigger learning curve than I even I could admit to, right. um, but I'm going to go for it. And that, that 10,000 hours thing is actually referenced in the book where they say, it's literally like if you're going to spend 10,000 hours, maybe you should make it something you love. And then it really won't feel like work. And what's more important, which they use this example in the book, which I love, um, is, you know, like say you're really, you know, you, you're really interested in recycling and you go out and you recycle and you take things and you learn how to recycle and you take it to the plants and you understand that if you do that for 10,000 hours, you know, you could not only do you make money because you recycling, you can earn something. It's a little bit, but it's still there, but you could become an expert at things that they will then eventually service, uh, you know, cities as they're building, you know, how they recycle, how they wayfind, how, all those things. So there's, there is something to be said for no matter what your passion is, mm -hmm. go towards that. Yeah. And I feel like that, you know, I wish that someone had given me this book in my teens and my twenties, you know, I give it to everybody. I think I've probably given it at, uh, the most present as far as anybody has yeah. people all the time. Yeah. All, it's no. a great book. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, say the name of it again. Hmm? Say the name of it again. So it's called name. The Great Work of Your Life. Um, and I think the author's name is Stephen Cole. Stephen Cole. Okay, cool. It's really good. I think, you know, it's, um, there are many, many books out there for like, you know, women who run with the wolves and all the great things that, you know, as a strong woman. But yeah. this one is just like a flat out, like anybody who reads it is going to see themselves they should see themselves in it. And then you can yeah. be like, okay, it's my job to figure out how to keep moving the, you know, incrementally towards that goal. Yeah. That's awesome. I yeah. love it. That's great. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah you know, lots of, there's lots of people who have books and sometimes it's people, sometimes, I don't know. It's, it's different. Everybody has a different thing, you know? So, and yeah. that's worse. So yeah, it's a big one though. I think in, if yeah. you haven't read it, you should read it too. Cause I think you well, might enjoy yeah. it. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. <laughs> I think Shelly was talking about the alchemist and I'm, I okay. just started that. I haven't read that either. And yeah. it's been on my Kindle for forever. So you yeah, know. there's this, there's an excerpt in the book about Jane Goodall and her mom and how influenced she was uh, by her own daughter, where she realized that her daughter was a, so attuned with the world around her that she was um, raising and trying to feed worms and taking care and nurturing worms instead of, you know, toys, she was with worms and take them to bed and give them a home and make an environment. And her mom actually, to the, you know, I think still until she, I don't know if she's still alive, but she, she would travel with Jane to create the environments that Jane would live in oh, so wow. that she could do her job. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, I thought that was the most unbelievable thing that at a, as a child, a mother could see the potential yeah. in someone. I, wow. I, yeah. So I think Shelly is another one of those women that sees the potential in her daughter. And, you know, I, I'm, I very much respond to that. My mother certainly saw things in me. So it's nice to see yeah. how that, you know, like, a, like to, to think Jane Goodall, you know, might not have been Jane Goodall, but weren't right. for that, you know, you never yeah. know. Yeah. That's super cool. I really like passing, passing the torch and supporting each other. Right. Super. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, awesome. It's so good to see your face. I know. It's so good to see you too. Thanks for the chat. 
sounds so good. I'm like, where's our wine? I know. Literally. It's almost about that time. What are we doing? Happy hour. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm like, let's go get that rosé. Yeah, I know. Hmm. Um, well, let's wrap up first. Maybe we'll talk oh, about yeah, that. No, that's all good. So um, thank you for being on the show, Kristen. It's so to hear about what you do and what you bring to the world and your origin story. And thank you for sharing, really. Yeah. That you're no, like, that's awesome. So, all right. Well, everyone, that has been another episode of the Mavens Do It Better podcast. Here is to another big, beautiful day on this blue spinning sphere. Everybody stay safe, stay healthy, and wash those hands. Thanks. The original music on this podcast was created by Jesse Case.